answer. The reading is on page 1165 of the Church Bibles. It's the 10th chapter of the 2nd Corinthians. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Well, I hope you'll uh, keep that passage open and uh, refer to it as we look at this passage together. Let's uh, pray as we do that. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. 
Lord, as we come to look into this passage before us, please impress upon us that truth of your word and help us to see in it your faithfulness. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, I wonder if you've been in a situation where you're overhearing someone with some kind of authority over a group having a bit of a rant at one or more individuals in the group. Perhaps it's in a classroom where the teacher is verging on incandescent at the group who failed to follow his safety instructions for the science experiment. Perhaps it's in the workplace where the boss is berating the team who failed to meet the important deadline she'd agreed with them. Perhaps you can remember a time at home where one of your parents is shouting at your brother for leaving his bedroom in an almighty mess again. Well, I'm sure most of us have been in a situation like that. You're not actually the target of the rant, but it feels distinctly uncomfortable to be in that situation, hearing that rebuke, and you wish you were somewhere else. Well, maybe that's something of how you felt as John read for us this chapter from 2 Corinthians. Paul is clearly having a go at the people in the Corinthian church that he's writing to. And perhaps we want to say, steady on, Paul. I'm sure you don't need to go in so heavy on these matters. Well, if you've been following our series in 2 Corinthians, you'll probably have detected that there is quite a change in tone as we hit chapter 10. Just in the previous two chapters, Paul has been actually quite encouraging about the Corinthians, uh, about their attitude to giving. For example, uh, chapter 9, verse 12, he wrote, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. But now, chapter 10, Paul comes out very strongly to defend his ministry against the criticisms and attacks there have evidently been from some in that church at Corinth, including some whom the church has accepted as leaders. This tone, as we shall see over the next uh, couple of weeks, continues uh, more or less to the end of the letter. Clearly, there is some chemistry and history in the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. And though it's not always obvious, we get hints of what's been going on to, to trigger Paul to write these verses. But even if these chapters are uncomfortable to listen in on, the Lord has caused them to be recorded in Scripture for our good. The situation at Corinth was not unique. We can expect gospel ministry to come under attack in our churches and our communities, not only from outsiders, but from within. So let's be open to what the Spirit may be saying to us today uh, through this, these verses. If we love Jesus, we should surely want to follow Paul's example here in defending the gospel and gospel ministry with Christ-like humility, gentleness, and boldness. If you're here as someone who isn't yet convinced of the gospel message or just don't quite understand it, it's really good uh, that you have come and are with us. And I hope you'll see something of why this message really does matter uh, and why we want to guard, protect, and defend it as well as promote it. What is this gospel message? Well, I think we had a, a good summary in that uh, second song uh, we saw, we sang. Um, 
we said, in my place he stood. Jesus stood in, in my place, that I may know freedom and live in forgiveness, for I am redeemed by his great love. When we put our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection and decide to live under his rule, he brings us into a restored relationship with God the Father who welcomes us as his adopted children. That's the gospel message we want to uh, defend. Well, I've got three headings to help frame uh, what I hope to bring out from this chapter. So firstly, the need to defend gospel ministry. Um, Secondly, how to defend gospel ministry, the sort of the manner in which we defend gospel ministry. And thirdly, how to boast in gospel ministry. So firstly then, the need to defend gospel ministry. The first criticism which uh, Paul takes up is that he is timid. See that there in verse 1. Like a dog with no bite, he will bark furiously at you from a distance, but then sit meekly at your feet when he's with you. Well, Paul has evidently had this feedback on how he is perceived by some at Corinth. And it's really the same accusation that comes up in verse 10. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Well, in his earlier correspondence with the Corinthians, Paul has made some strong criticisms of individuals and leaders there, particularly, it seems, of new leaders who've come in and been dismissive of Paul's authority and have been preaching a different, a distorted gospel. These leaders think that Paul has been keeping his distance because he's too weak and afraid to confront them directly. And even if he did come, he just wouldn't have the courage to challenge them to their face. But Paul is determined to come and see them soon. He's already planning what will be his third visit to them. He makes two references to that in the ch- chapter 12 and chapter 13. He's determined to be, if necessary, as bold with him in person as he is in his letters. Of course, his hope is that this, this letter he's writing now will change their attitude towards him so that he does not need to be so forthright. But note why Paul is so keen to defend himself. Well, in fact, he's not so much bothered about defending himself as to defend the gospel and to defend the ministry of the gospel which has been entrusted to him. Back at the start of his his first letter, 1 Corinthians, we read how the church was divided into factions, each claiming its own favoured authority. There was Peter, there was Paul, there was Apollos, Jesus was another one. But each apparently succumbing to the ideas of Greek philosophy, each of those sort of factions. They valued, it seems, a style of preaching that sounded clever and sophisticated and was very sort of Greek powerful and super spiritual, rather than the preaching of a crucified Messiah, which seemed weak and pathetic. And surprise, surprise, they attracted leaders who gave them what they wanted and who claimed to have special spiritual powers and experiences. They were even prepared to to pay these leaders who gave them what they wanted, because in their convoluted thinking that showed how valuable the leaders were and how sophisticated they all were. 
And it was actually a very worldly way of appearing to be spiritual. And under this cloak of worldly spirituality, it allowed sexual immorality to creep in and fester. That's something Paul particularly tackles in 1 Corinthians. And I think we can see that sort of worldly appearance of spirituality running rife in the Church of England today with similar consequences in sexual ethics. Well, such super sophistication inevitably despised preaching of the cross and looked down on Paul as the worldly one. See that there, verse 2. With nothing but this feeble gospel message to peddle. But Paul will not allow this charge of worldliness to stick. Verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's not a, a, a physical battle, but a spiritual one. Paul doesn't elaborate here on what these non-worldly weapons are, but we can surely infer that they include God's word and prayer and the Holy Spirit working through his, his word and our prayers. Nothing can withstand the power of the Spirit when God has ordained that something is to be made subject to Christ. So whether that's the stubborn heart of our atheist or Buddhist friend, or the institution that constantly and deliberately persecutes Christians, or Satan himself, they will be made subject to Christ. When we pray for a friend or family member to turn to Christ, we're wielding a weapon with divine power. Well, Paul clearly hopes that this letter will bring about such obedience to Christ in the Corinthians. But if some are still undermining the gospel when he makes his third visit, he won't be afraid to deal with them then. I think that's what Paul is saying in verse 6 about um, punishing every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Well, we're surely aware of a loss of confidence in the gospel in the, in the UK. We have a great heritage of faithful gospel preaching and teaching in our country. The question is, are we with Paul in being up for defending what has been entrusted to us Will we engage in this spiritual battle? The need to defend gospel ministry has not gone away. Well, in defending his own ministry, Paul models for us how to defend gospel ministry. That's my second heading, how to defend gospel ministry. Going back to verse 1, he makes his appeal by the humility and gentleness of Christ. As always, he wants to model his behavior on Jesus. Paul has, Paul has noticed these two wonderfully attractive characteristics in Jesus that are vanishingly rare amongst those who have authority. How different our House of Commons would be if MPs modeled the humility and gentleness of Christ in their debates rather than personal attacks 
and political point scoring. While Paul is not uh, addressing an unruly class that he's been given to knock into shape or an army platoon of raw recruits that he needs to train, he's addressing people who are very dear to him. People for whom he made great sacrifices and risked his life in order to reach them with the gospel. People who've become his brothers and sisters in Christ as they have responded to that gospel message. People who he longs to see growing in maturity in Christ. He wants them to see that they are in Christ together. So it is out of this tender love and pastoral heart for the Corinthian church that Paul is prepared to be bold and clear and exercise discipline amongst them as necessary. Is that a departure from the humility and gentleness of Christ? Well, no. Jesus was not afraid to exercise discipline. We see on a number of occasions he had to rebuke one or more of his disciples. And more openly, when he drove out those traders and money men from the temple. Paul's reluctant and measured but forceful discipline of the Corinthians is modelled on Christ. And notice how Paul demonstrates that gentleness as he seeks to reassure them of the genuineness of his loving concern for them. Verse 8. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up, rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. He's not wanting to be a bully, but rather he wants to see them growing in Christ but he's not ashamed to use his authority as an apostle to, do, to address his concerns about them. In fact, he feels obliged to do so because he has this authority given him by the Lord to make disciples amongst the Gentiles wherever the Lord sent him. And Corinth was one of those places. That authority from the Lord was not just permission to make disciples, it was commission something he was required to do for the Lord. So Paul knew he would be forceful when with them in person if that was needed and was determined not to duck his responsibility. Verse 11, such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Just going back to verse 10, you see that charge made against Paul that in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Some people have suggested that Paul was rather short in stature or had some kind of speech impediment, which may have given rise to this accusation of his being unimpressive. And we know that on one occasion he managed to send a, a young man to sleep um, when he was preaching a rather uh, long sermon that went on to midnight. Well, as his speaking, to his speaking amounted to nothing, that's probably an odious comparison with these new leaders in the church, with their polished, charismatic, rhetorical style of speaking, which was so admired in Greek high society. But Paul's apostolic commission was to preach Christ crucified, a message which Paul had described as foolishness in 1 Corinthians. Foolishness to those who are perishing. The foolishness of God, 
which is wiser than human wisdom. That's how he described it. And I think there's a warning for us here about how we view our ministers, whether current, past or future. They won't be the perfect, omnicompetent minister we would like to have. They will have weaknesses and may have mannerisms and style or a way of speaking that we naturally react against. They may not be as impressive a preacher as the one we love to catch up with online. They may not have all the warmth of personality of our previous minister. They may not be energising the church as much as the minister in the church down the road. But the big question is, do they faithfully live and preach the gospel? with all its implications for themselves, for the church family, and those outside. If so, we should get behind them and support them and encourage them. Don't let their personality or style deter you from coming to church as often as you can, or detract from your hearing the gospel they preach, or distract you from wholeheartedly following Christ yourself. But there are dangerous leaders as well, aren't there? As they, we see in Corinth, beware of manipulative leaders who may sound impressive, but who actually commend themselves rather than Christ and live a different gospel from the one that Jesus and Paul preached. They don't exhibit the humility and gentleness of Christ. They don't defend the gospel. If you find yourself under such a minister, then it would be right prayerfully and gently but firmly to express your concern and challenge them about their teaching, their lifestyle. Of course, you won't have the apostolic authority that Paul had to rebuke the new leaders in Corinth. But as a disciple of Christ, you have the authority of God's word. If they are dismissive of your concerns or just unwilling to address them, then it may be time to find another church. But it's not just the minister, is it, who may get under our skin. If we are involved with our church, it's likely that from time to time we will find ourselves disagreeing with others and maybe falling out with them. How do we approach such disagreement? Well, we follow Paul's example, don't we? With the humility and gentleness of Christ. The Christ of whom Isaiah wrote, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. But also the Christ who is bold in challenging sin and unbelief and hypocrisy. Of course, we must be aware of our own weaknesses and failings as we challenge others. And be aware of the limits of our authority. We're not Paul, let alone Jesus. But we all have a responsibility for guarding and promoting the gospel. And how we do that matters. Let's, like Paul, model ourselves on Jesus. Well, Paul ends this chapter showing us how to boast in gospel ministry. That's my third heading. It might not be a, a word that comes to our mind, but it's, it's something that Paul refers to a lot in these chapters. Gospel ministry is something to be proud of. Paul began this chapter with humility, but ends with this boasting, these characteristics that seem like polar opposites. But as we 
we can see uh, Paul throughout his correspondence with the, the Corinthians. He uses this word such a lot. Just not now, verse 17. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And you can see that this verse is marked as a quotation. Paul is summarizing what the prophet uh, Jeremiah uh, said. In, and this is what we read in chapter 9 of, of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So, whether we're wise or dull, strong or weak, rich or poor, if we've come to know the Lord God through Jesus, we can boast in the Lord, in his kindness and his justice and his righteousness knowing that he will delight in us as we exercise that humble trust in him. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul had been commissioned by the Lord to take this gospel to the Gentiles, including those at Corinth. He planted and nurtured the Corinthian church, and as he writes this letter, He's determined to protect it from those with a different agenda. He did so because, above all, he craved the Lord's commendation. Do you remember those words that Jesus put in the mouth of the Master in the parable of the talents? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your Master's happiness. Well, I'm sure Paul was looking forward to hearing such words uh, when Jesus returns as the master. What about you? Is that what you want Jesus to say to you? Is that what you are working for now as you seek to serve him in all humility and gentleness? So Paul is, is not boasting <coughs> excuse me, about himself, his upbringing, his gifts, his skills, his apostleship, his hard work, his church planting, he knows that all, that all that has been achieved in him and through him is all down to the Lord. He knows that faithfully fulfilling the commission the Lord gave him and earning the Lord's commendation is all down to the Holy Spirit's work in him. He will only boast in what the Lord has done. But when we see spirit-empowered gospel ministry demolishing those strongholds and captivating the thoughts of unbelievers to make them obedient to Christ and building his church. Isn't that something for us to, be, to rejoice in and be proud of? Not pride, pride in ourselves, but in our Lord who has done this work. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So we've seen the need to defend gospel ministry and our responsibility to be part of that. We've seen how to defend gospel ministry, modelling ourselves on Christ in humility, gentleness and boldness. And we've seen how we can rightly boast in gospel ministry because it is the Lord's work, not ours. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the wonder and power of the gospel to change lives. We thank you for the way it has changed our lives and brought us into your kingdom to know you, to know Jesus. And Father, we pray that you will help us to be those who will stand up for the gospel and for gospel ministry in these days. Lord, help us to be uh, to see where we need to be defending that gospel and help us to have that humility and gentleness of Christ and that boldness of Christ uh, as we go about that. And Lord, may we be able to rejoice in seeing that gospel doing its work and being fruitful and being, bringing honour and glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.